Thank you for listening, but please be advised that I am not an expert on any of the topics I discuss on the show. Be skeptical about everything you hear, including from me, and confirm information before sharing it. Please also be advised that I do swear, and I don't take the time to edit that stuff out. So listener discretion is advised. About a hundred homes. The governor of Missouri declared a state of emergency. Very serious situation here in Hawaii. Earlier this evening, the uh, civil defense calling for an evacuation of all low-lying areas because of a tsunami. The sky turns black as giant tornadoes touch down from Nebraska to Texas. Apocalyptic scenes as twisted. Hi. I'm Ruby, and this is episode 56 of Living Through Extinction, a short-to-the-point podcast with science, skepticism, environment, wildlife, and ways we as people can be better for future generations. If the last three episodes were of less quality than usual, my apologies. I had some family stuff to attend to, and ended up doing three in a row, one after the other, in a very short period of time, so that I could be free to solely focus on the family stuff for a while. That family stuff went really well, and now I'm back to just having to worry about one episode every two weeks again. Back to my normal routine. Still recording in advance, but not that far in advance going forward. Today I'm talking about essential oils, air lubrication, and electric knee implants. But my researched segment is something I am super passionate about. And if you skip everything else, I ask now that you please, please listen to that segment. It is about information literacy and digital and media literacy and why we desperately need it and how lack of it is fucking destroying our nations. But I'll try to stay on topic and not get too riled up when I get there, I promise. So here we go. If you have joined me before, then thank you so much for returning. If this is your first time listening to Living Through Extinction, welcome. I hope you find it both fun and informative. (sighs) I swear... A lack of skepticism and the rampant spread of mis- and disinformation really is going to lead to our extinction. Today I'm going to talk about essential oils, one of the greatest woos out there doing damage due to no regulations. Why should a skeptic care about mis- and disinformation about essential oils? Because while enjoying sense is fine, the problem with essential oils is that they can be harmful, even deadly, if used improperly or to excess. And when this happens, it is almost always due to misinformation or disinformation. More frequent and more severe poisonings from essential oils are occurring in Europe and the US, and these numbers are also starting to climb in Australia. When these oils are kept in the house, harm happens in a few different ways. There have been cases where someone has taken a sip from an essential oil bottle thinking it was something else. Gross. More common injuries are a result of not measuring properly. And, unfortunately, the third reason people end up in hospital from essential oil poisonings is that they were victims of misinformation. Someone, likely a sales associate, convinced them it was safe, even good, to ingest one of these oils orally or to apply them liberally to their bare skin. There have been many cases of salespeople outright lying to the people they sell to. Essential oils are volatile chemical compounds, which means that they evaporate at a low temperature. They are extracted from plants and used to scent perfumes, soaps, incense, diffusers, so many things. They do not go through the FDA before being sold, so in truth, you really do not know what you're getting. Some people find certain smells relaxing. If that's you, and all you're doing is smelling it on occasion to chill out, then you do you. Just keep it well-labeled, out of the reach of children, and don't overdo it. Essential oils are extremely concentrated and can cause severe toxicity, which can come on very quickly. 
Different oils have different risks, but there are some where as little as five milliliters could threaten the life of a child. From July 2014 to June 2018, there were 4,412 cases of essential oil poisonings toxicities in Australia. Two-thirds of these cases were children under 15 who are much more likely to experience the worst of the possible side effects of these things. Results of acute toxicity from essential oils can cause central nervous system depression or excitation. And not all harm comes from absorption and ingestion. Inhaling certain oils on a regular basis can cause something called aspiration pneumonia, which acts very much like a bacterial pneumonia and can dangerously obstruct one's airway. When an essential oil is absorbed through the skin of a pregnant person, it will enter the placenta and affect the fetus. Swallowing just a small amount can lead to miscarriage. It's actually recommended that people who are pregnant or who have any medical condition should avoid essential oils altogether unless they have cleared a specific one for specific use with their doctor. Some essential oils can mess with our hormonal balances. There have been studies done which show that lavender and tea tree oil contain compounds that mimic estrogen and also inhibit testosterone. Lavender is known for assisting with sleep and relaxation, but it can mess you up hormonally. Teens and children should stay away from essential oils for this reason. Eucalyptus is soothing to burns, but can cause seizures if ingested. It also contains compounds called phenol, which can irritate the respiratory tract when inhaled, and this is especially so in babies. Chamomile can help calm some people, but there are some who have severe reactions from this essential oil. Going too far with tea tree oil, wintergreen, or camphor can lead to throat swelling, a racing heart, vomiting, and even seizures. When overused on the skin, many citrus-based oils can result in chemical burns when exposed to the sun. This is a result of these oils containing furanocumarins, which chemically react to sunlight. There is one woman who rubbed grapefruit oil on her feet because she had been told it would work as an appetite suppressant. It doesn't. She was also spiking her water and her laundry with lemon oil. As a result of all this citrus-based oil, she developed a severe sensitivity to the sun. I'm talking to the point where she would get blisters and welts after just a short time. Overuse of these oils can be extremely dangerous. It can affect your life in very dramatic ways. Don't do it. Or at least be careful about it. Mint is a common scent for soaps and other scented products. My son used to make soap, and I can tell you that it takes the tiniest drop of mint to scent a whole lot of soap. Very little needs to be used. When people put a drop on their pulse points in hot weather because they believe it helps to keep them cooler, they're usually putting an entire drop or two directly on their skin. The mint essential oils, no matter what the salesperson tells you, are not meant to be used topically, especially at full strength. Minor issues have been rashes, but more severe issues have been toxicity from absorption. When mint is used in a bath, it can be downright dangerous. I've never experienced this myself, but I've read dozens of anecdotes about people who mistakenly used too much and found themselves freezing in a hot bath and then shivering for hours afterward. There have also been cases of people ending up with full-body rashes after a bath with mint essential oil. Many sellers actually recommend diluting and drinking these oils, a drop or two in a glass of water. No. This increases chances of toxicity, allergic reaction, or even interaction with your current medications. Continued exposure to small amounts, even a drop or two a day, can lead to fatigue and headaches. 
And then your essential oil seller will likely recommend more oils to assist with those issues which were caused by the oils to begin with. Believe it or not, people have actually been convinced to use these oils in their vaginas for yeast infections. Whoever convinced them this was safe should be charged. The FDA has reported cases of internal burns as a result of this misinformation. Can you imagine? Self-proclaimed wellness advocates have called essential oils, quote, harmless natural remedies that treat everything from minor skin irritations and mood swings to autism, unquote. Wow, that's some pretty fucked up woo they're claiming in order to make sales. As mentioned earlier, they also sometimes say things like, the oils are so pure that they're safe to ingest and can be applied liberally topically. Again, no. One woman who got all of these claims from her salesperson and was completely sucked in really regretted it. She was infusing her water with citrus oils to detox, and she was lathering her skin with lavender oils to relax. When she ended up with a bad rash and told her salesperson about it, they told her that the rash was a normal part of the detox process and sold her frankincense oil to rub on her rashes. Oh my god, they are such con people. This woman ended up in emergency with swollen eyes and blisters on her face. And the doctors said that she experienced a toxic reaction to the overuse of the essential oils. Four years later, she still had the physical and mental scars from the traumatic experience. Because of all the dangers around essential oils and the small amounts that can do damage, spills should be treated as poisonous and cleaned immediately, particularly if there are children or pets in the home. You don't want your cat or dog to come along and lick even the tiniest amount. Did you know that cats are so sensitive to these oils that it's actually recommended cats not be kept in rooms with running essential oil diffusers? And don't ever apply them to your dog's fur. I don't know what people's reasonings are for this, but it does happen, and the problem with it is that a dog's skin and nose will be particularly irritated from the topical use. The smell alone can burn their delicate noses. Because of this, just cleaning up a spill sometimes isn't enough. If the spill is cleaned and the smell remains, then your dog may come along and take a good sniff and it will still possibly cause them pain or at least discomfort. There's a group on Facebook for victims of essential oil burns and poisonings. It's called The Unspoken Truth About Essential Oils. I just like to say this has not been unspoken. Skeptical communities have been pointing these things out from day one. But when skeptics make genuine warnings about a fad that's taking off, nobody listens until years later, after the realities are exposed and the damage has already been done. It's frustrating to be a skeptic. You spend a lot of time wanting so badly to say I told you so, but knowing it's just not the right decision to make. Essential oils are safe when used properly and in minimal doses, and there are some credible uses for them. Some of the legit uses are for nausea, calming, bed sores, dandruff, and toe fungus, but one has to be careful to use the proper oil, in the proper amounts, in the proper way. Look up what the safe dose of your favorite scent is. Look into its negative effects of absorption and even inhalation. Go to WebMD and look at the images of the burns from essential oils, which they have published. They can get so bad. When someone who sells essential oils calls themselves a wellness advocate, call them on their bullshit. Wellness often means woo. Don't listen to that shit. These sellers often either downplay the risks or they do not mention them at all, while at the same time over-exaggerating any benefits and giving improper, even dangerous, information. Yes, they're natural, but natural is not always good for you. Don't forget that arsenic is very natural. 
be careful and be skeptical, damn it. There's an interesting tech called air lubrication, which is making large ocean ships a lot more efficient. It does this by reducing the friction between the boat and the water by up to 20% with the use of bubbles. I love bubbles. Air, obviously, is less dense than water. A lot less dense than water. So a ship traveling on a cushion of bubbles is going to experience a lot less friction. I saw one example that I thought explained it rather well. Glide your hand through the top of still water and compare it to gliding your hand through the top of a bubbling hot tub. This difference in friction that you feel is the reason for the reduction in fuel consumption. A large ship could have a 5 to 10% reduction in fuel usage. And for those firms that spend 5 to 10 million on fuel for an average sized vessel every year, that 5 to 10% is a whole lot of money. For the bubble system to work, a ship has to be going a pretty high speed or the bubbles would just disperse before going underneath, offering no buffer between the ship and the water. One system I read about shoots out millions of one millimeter across bubbles, but apparently studies have actually shown that, quote, larger deformable bubbles do better, unquote. There's a fleet of ships called Veilmax whose company is testing this technology in hopes of reducing their emissions. Veilmax is made up of very large ore carriers, and even a small percentage reduction will equal a very large number for them. Apparently, there are also several cruise ships currently equipped with this tech. One system is called Silverstream Technologies Silverstream System. This is a physical device that gets installed in the ship's hull near the bow. It generates a, quote, carpet of air bubbles flowing all the way to the ship's stern, unquote. Another system of air lubrication relies on physics and mother nature and the changing pressures of the ship as it rises and falls or something like that. I couldn't quite wrap my head around it, but basically it's not about creating the bubbles with any device. Instead, they're created naturally by the way the ship is built. It's amazing what can be accomplished with just a reshaping of a part of a ship. I love that there's a way to accomplish this air lubrication with just that. No new products need to be built, used up, and thrown away in the end. This method is my favorite, despite the fact that I have a hard time understanding exactly how it works. I'm going to, though. I plan to look into this more from a physics standpoint to satisfy my own need to know and understand. The concept of air lubrication is not new, but advancing technology and other discoveries are now allowing existing ships to be retrofitted with systems and new ships to be built with them. Yes, the ships will still be consuming fuel and putting out emissions, but every bit that we can reduce that shit at this point counts. The ships are not going to stop shipping, but this is at least an improvement that can be made to the industry. No wildlife segment today, so jumping to my research segment. Informational literacy, digital and media literacy. When a Pew Research study gave 5,000 adults five factual statements and five statements of opinion, only 35% were able to accurately identify the opinion statements as opinions. Only 26% were able to accurately identify the factual statements as facts. That means the majority of people saw opinions as facts and facts as opinions, or both. That's not great. Lack of information literacy and digital and media literacy is destroying our nations. If we give a shit at all about future generations, we need to teach them these things. We need to teach them young. We have to make them second nature to our kids as they grow into adults who will have to interpret and act upon these medias every day. How is learning information literacy and digital media literacy beneficial? 
It helps keep one from being manipulated as easily. It helps with figuring out what you might actually be supporting if you share this piece of media. It's becoming more and more common for people to see one thing that they're on the bandwagon with and share without reviewing the rest of the content. They could be supporting something monstrous and not even realize it. In Canada, the beginnings of information literacy were taught at a very young age with the House Hippo commercial. If you do not know this commercial, please go watch it now. People in the skeptical community love the House Hippo commercial. We need more media like that in our youth's lives. And that's from long before the internet. If we needed it then just for television, just think about how badly we must need it now. The earlier kids learn these forms of literacy, the better the chance of saving them from being victims of propaganda in the future. The core skills of critical thinking can be instilled from a very early age. But the adults in their lives have to teach it because unfortunately, while our youth pick up new technology very quickly, it is not instinctual to analyze what they see. They will not see the attempts at manipulation and they won't recognize the commercial agenda of most of what they encounter online, making them more susceptible to it, unless they are taught. In a Canadian site about teaching information literacy and digital media literacy, it said that if we want our kids to be literate in these ways, then we must help them to, quote, develop knowledge, values, and a range of critical thinking, communication, and information management skills for the digital age. Unquote. It's true that if these things are not taught, the media will continue to be a tool for the immoral to forge young minds as they wish. Information literacy and digital media literacy will teach us and them to question, evaluate, and understand what we all see, hear, and read. The more it's pointed out, the more we understand for ourselves how it can influence the way we view the different groups of people around us. Social media had a huge role to play in the spread of Muslim bigotry in the U.S. and Canada. Deliberately misleading posts were created to spread anger and hate. And I watched some of my own family members taken in by and sharing what I saw as rather obvious bigoted bullshit. And people were murdered as a result of this mass anti-Muslim campaign. Instead of raising kids who further hateful agendas, information literacy and digital media literacy will help them to see, understand, and appreciate people's diversity and differences. Let's raise a generation that does not get sucked in by Facebook quizzes. A generation that inquires before spreading. A generation of people who know how to decipher online media and won't be fooled into sharing things that are actually against their ideals. A generation that would never be naive to think they wouldn't be allowed to say it if it weren't true. A generation that recognizes the manipulative techniques of a heading that says, only 5% of people are smart enough to get this. Are you one of them? Let's raise a generation that actually knows how to use a search engine like Google, who understand and account for the fact that, thanks to tracking, the first few pages they see will be those most likely to match their current biases and preferences, especially on a personal device such as a phone or a laptop. Learn for yourself and teach your children strategies on how to optimize searches. Also how to spot which results are sponsored. A study in the UK showed that only 31% of 12 to 15 year olds were able to identify ads in their Google searches. We should want this for our kids. Someone who is taught information literacy will be best able to find, identify, evaluate, and use information. 
They will know to check for references and sources and then check on those references and sources. And someone who is taught digital and media literacy will be able to identify faults in headlines, articles, websites, memes, etc. They will know how to evaluate the quality, credibility, and validity of the media they consume every single day. Studies show that 6 out of 10 people will share an article based on the headline alone without reading any of the actual content. Deceptive headlines are everywhere. I could probably do an entire skeptical segment where I just read headlines, what they imply the article will say, and what the article actually contains. Maybe I should do that one day. A U.S. study showed that 80% of high school and college students were not able to tell the difference between a sponsored piece and a legitimate news story. We need to learn to check multiple sources and confirm that each of those sources aren't carbon copies of each other. Check for completeness of information and check for objectivity. Evaluate if the article appeals to emotion and curiosity, if it sparks shock or outrage. To some sites, the truth doesn't matter, just the clicks and emotion and curiosity get the clicks. When it comes to websites, let's keep in mind that anyone can create a website or social media account with a little effort or cost. Plenty of misinformation originates from these seemingly legitimate websites. If someone uses a website to prove a point, evaluate that website before just buying into it. Read the about page. It may have information that is not obvious on the main pages. Figure out if there's a purpose to this page. Is it selling something? Check the website's history. Has it made major changes in its claims without explanation? How much of the site is opinion and how much is backed up with sources and references? Are there a lot of advertisements? Who are the authors of the website? Are they credible? Educated in the appropriate areas? Is the information being presented based on current data? Or is it severely outdated? Has new information been revised that is not included? If a study is cited, go read the study. Confirm it actually exists and actually says what they claim it is saying. Misrepresentation of studies also happens all the time. And my favorite? Is it satire? Oh my god. I can't tell you how many times I've had to tell someone that the article they were showing me to prove their point came from an admitted satirical site. That means the articles are fucking jokes. Yet people still get sucked in. Being able to tell the difference between opinion and fact is a great tool for anybody. Content creators will blur the lines by mixing facts and opinions into whatever it is they're creating. Often their goal is to fuel some sort of outrage because that gets reactions, clicks, views, plays. We can practice looking for statements that are made to appear factual but which are actually opinions which favor a specific perspective. Any media that cares more about stoking anger, fear, and hatred than real reporting of objective news should be avoided. You will not get facts there. Fox, for example. Fox is all about riling up the ignorant masses. Half the time, whatever they get people pissed off about has been completely misrepresented. We also need to learn and teach our kids to recognize echo chambers. Get away from them when you can, or you will never be exposed to other ideas, which may in fact be more accurate. When in an echo chamber, like-minded people assure each other that they must be right, while all the information that may counter their opinions is nowhere to be found. We know that everyone is different. We know that there are multiple feelings and opinions on everything. So ask yourself if all the sites and posts that you see have something in common. Do they all give just one perspective? 
Do they all contain the same opinion? Do they all agree with each other? Yeah, that's not reality. You are in an echo chamber. Learn for yourself and teach your children how to legitimately fact check. Since the reign of Trump, anti-fact checkers are rampant. These people insist that it's impossible to know which statements are true. These people are either lazy or dishonest. Too lazy to learn something new or too dishonest to care because they want to stand by their stance. That's called willful ignorance, by the way. Fake media has been a skeptical term for ages. Fake news is something that came from Trump. Respectable fact-checking sites, which stay completely unbiased, are now called left-wing extreme sites. Again, that all stems from Trump. No one ever told so many untruths in the public eye before Trump, so it seemed like every story and every fact-checking site was about him. He didn't like that, so started touting them all as left-wing liberal sites, which none of them are. They have always debunked myths from both sides. It's just once Trump came along, he gave them so much material that drowned out everything else and made it appear that they were going after someone specifically. When in reality, that's just how untrue every word that came out of his mouth was. I have actual relatives who believe the whole, look at how the rape counts have gone up in Sweden since they started allowing the Muslims in. Bullshit. When I asked for a source other than Trump, one said he saw it on TV and the other said, I saw it too, to back him up. I think they actually thought they were making acceptable arguments. As a skeptic, I was pretty blown away that they'd been taken in so hardcore. But that's the power of actual fake media for you, not fake news. Like Fox. Just because they call themselves a news show does not mean they report news. Fox has always been a Christian right propaganda show. Skeptics saw that long before Trump came along. I was pleasantly surprised to see Canada is considered a leader when it comes to information and digital media literacy. I mean, we did have the house hippo commercial. But there are free sites here where we can learn all the basics and even take tests to spot problems in websites, articles, and more. And this shit is free! Look up Historica Canada Digital Literacy Education Guide. It aims to, quote, give students of any age the skills to assess content, quality, and consistency of what they read, see, and hear, unquote. And the teachings, quote, draw on historical examples of disinformation to provide a media literacy framework for the 21st century media, unquote. There are guides and worksheets to help you learn how to weigh sources, facts, and opinions free. If someone cares about what's true and not just a political standing, then they can learn to discern it. They can learn to tell fact from fiction. It just takes a little time and commitment. And if you don't want to do that, that's fine, but at least listen to those who do. Someone who studies information and digital and media literacy will know more about how to interpret media than someone who does not. That's just how these things work. A person does not get to have an opinion on something they never bothered to learn anything about. As Harlan Ellison said, quote, You are not entitled to your opinion. You are entitled to your informed opinion. No one is entitled to be ignorant. Unquote. That's one of my favorites. These online lessons will not teach you what to think. They will show you how to think and evaluate things for yourself. Even if you skip the lessons and tests and go straight to the evaluations, that can be helpful too. An example of these evaluations would be where they show you an article or a website and you're to evaluate if it's genuine, scam-related, etc. When you get it wrong, it explains why. It's a good way to practice fake media spotting techniques. The more we do it, the more we pick up what to look for. 
We should be fighting against the false perception that these things don't matter. And I am. These aren't just memes. They have actual influence on what we think and believe, causing major social and political implications, and they are doing legit damage to our fucking democracy. Responsible people can avoid adding to our diminishing democracy simply by evaluating the source, content, and message while considering the intended audience of the media. This is a skeptical way of looking at these things. A meme is not a fact or a truth. It is a man-made thing, often worded very carefully, even deceptively, in order to instill and spread anger and or hate. Fake media is designed to cause outrage and shock, often for the purpose of shares or clicks. It is usually either selling something or trying to spread a social agenda. Don't be part of it. Decide you're going to be better than that. Don't be taken in by it. Decide you're going to be more aware than that. Find out exactly what it is you are sharing before you start spreading it. You could be supporting and assisting in a massive atrocity and not even realize it. Okay, on the positive side here, I am very happy to be able to share this possible medical breakthrough. These electric knee implants that our children may have access to when they age are amazing in so many ways. The most common form of arthritis is osteoarthritis, where the cartilage at our joints wears away. When this cushioning between our bones is gone or even thinned out too much, movement of these joints can begin to be very painful. This can affect people's lives, stopping them from enjoying the things that may have previously brought them joy. University of Connecticut bioengineers have had successful tests of their scaffolding knee implant on smaller mammals. What they have designed is a tissue scaffold made out of nanofibers of poly-L-lactic acid, or PLLA. PLLA is a biodegradable polymer. If you've had surgery, you may have had your wounds stitched up with a thread made from PLLA. These stitches do not have to be removed because they dissolve and are absorbed by the body. Another important quality of PLLA is that it has a property known as piezoelectricity. This means that the material produces small bursts of electric currents when squished and released. The important thing about piezoelectricity is that it's something that already exists in our bodies. Our bones, cartilage, collagen, DNA, and even many proteins have responses to these piezoelectric pulses. With this material making up the scaffolding of the knee, Walking is enough to cause the PLLA to create a weak but steady electrical field, encouraging cells to colonize it and stimulating them to grow into new cartilage. No outside stem cells are required. Bonus! And regrowth has been shown to be the most robust method of replacing cartilage. Double bonus! And here is the best part. I don't know if you noticed a minute ago that I called PLLA a biodegradable polymer, the material that makes up dissolvable stitches. These cartilage scaffolding implants will last as long as needed and just dissolve away and be absorbed by the body, just like the stitches do. They will do their part to draw in cells and grow that new cartilage, then they'll just disappear. The material can be tweaked to last as long as will be necessary for each patient. I, I just fucking love it. This is legitimate and significant progress towards a real treatment, even cure, dare I say, for osteoarthritis someday. Suffering could be alleviated for thousands of people.
Now it still needs to be tested in larger mammals before it can begin testing in humans. But damn, our kids may have the best knee technology ever as they age, and that's awesome. The studies for this amazing product were reported in the January 12, 2022 issue of Science Translational Medicine. And so ends episode 56. It feels good to be back to a normal routine. Normal for me, anyway. My research segment ran a bit long, so I did not get to talk about two books I was hoping to mention. So next episode, I may use my research segment to go into detail of how skeptical inquiry can help us to see what's true, which is more important today than it has been in over 50 years. I will be talking about the predictions and teachings of Carl Sagan and James Randi, one known as the calm, friendly skeptic, and the other known as the in-your-face, matter-of-fact, cranky old man skeptic. One guess which one I relate to more. I'm going to stick to one book from each of them for the purpose of easy referencing, and each of them has a book on this topic that obviously stands out. Carl Sagan, The Calm, Friendly Skeptic's Demon-Haunted World, Science as a Candle in the Dark, and James Randi, the in-your-face, matter-of-fact, cranky old man, Flim Flam, Psychics, ESP, Unicorns, and Other Delusions. Their book titles, while relating to the same topics, really do show the difference in their approaches, personalities, and attitudes. So that's next time. For today, thank you for listening. May your health and sanity be replenished daily. Thank you to Jason Martin for composing the intro-outro for the show, and thank you to Kathy Rayner and Paul Palmer for the musical contributions on the violin and guitar. I hope you will join me in two weeks for episode 57 of Living Through Extinction. The governor of Missouri declared a state of emergency. Very serious situation here in Hawaii. Earlier this evening, the uh, civil defense calling for an evacuation of all low-lying areas because of a tsunami. The sky turns black as giant tornadoes touch down from Nebraska to...